Hello and welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is a fan podcast dedicated to the cinematic career of Dolph Lundgren. And this is episode one. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and with me today is my good buddy, Chris Prentice. Chris, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Sean? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, you know, I figured it was only fitting to have you on um, the inaugural episode, um, you know, because uh, let's face it, we, we first met years ago for our... Uh, for our appreciation of uh, of Mr. Lundgren, so I figured not only was it um, was it fitting that we started with Rocky Four, but uh, that I had you on. So I, I really appreciate you joining joining me for this today, sir. Oh well, thank you so much for having me on. I know I think it's been maybe about 15 years ago that we uh, first kind of were trading messages back and forth, and uh, it's hard to believe that uh, 15 years later we're we're still. Uh, Watching the man's films, appreciating them, and uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's a real kick to be here. Well, you know, and and, it, and like I said, like I was telling you when we when I wanted to start this thing up was, you know, it seems like there's a podcast for just about everything else out there under the sun, um, you know, but there's really not one for, uh, you know, for for Dolph, and you know. As I'm sure you can attest to as well, I feel like he is probably one of the most underrated and underappreciated, you know, actors out there today. So, um, you know, I feel like this definitely, you know, if there's any any star, any action star who deserves um, who deserves some cred and an analysis of his impressive career, um, I, I would definitely say it goes to uh, goes to old Dolph. Oh, no, without a doubt. I mean, look look at it this way. I mean, the movie we're going to talk about today, you know, came out in 1985. 32 years later you know we're still talking about it he still has a viable career i mean he's he, the guy whatever you want to say about him he's a survivor i mean he's got the peaks and the valleys and and you can go with the ups and the downs um but this is a guy who has been able to, to keep it going and sort of reinvent himself when he has to and uh you know there's there's just there's just no doubt that he's got easily to me the most fascinating of all the big action heroes well and you know and he, yeah, he's, he's definitely up there with all those other action heroes and you know what's what's so interesting is you know he got his um his start his run in the 80s as well and he never really had the the same success as uh as the rest of his compatriots um you know and, and those are all those are a, a whole other stories um you know that I imagine we can get into, but you know, especially his early films, um, Rocky IV, withstanding, were plagued with all sorts of production problems that were not his fault. And because of those production problems, I feel that's kind of why he was um, kind of put on the on the second tier, you know, and did not rise to the same um, the same big leagues as you know as the Arnold and the Sly. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, he he came up obviously '85. And that was basically when the action film was king, and everybody was trying to find the next Arnold, the next Sly. And uh, you know he had his shots; they they didn't quite turn out the way that I think the studios that released them wanted to. Certainly with the case of uh, Masters of the Universe and Red Scorpion. And so you know he kind of quickly was was on the downturn pretty fast, even though he was making his best movies during that downturn. Yeah. And so then you know you had. Van Damme and you had Seagal and you know while those two guys were kind of slowly climbing up you know Lundgren was kind of falling down by the wayside but you know he, he really he really capitalized on sort of the home video explosion because he was kind of he was one of the first guys that 
had a big screen career and then sort of transitioned into the straight to video films and you know i think he easily made some of the best ones from that time and and is actually still making some of the better ones so i mean even though he didn't quite get the uh, the worldwide success of uh of some of these guys i mean the fact that he's been able to hang on as long as he has uh it's just something i have a a real incredible amount of respect for oh yeah no most definitely um the 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 utmost respect and appreciation and um, you know as I was telling you when I started embarking on this venture um, you know I decided you know what I'm gonna do is go in chronological order of his filmography I feel like that's the best way to do it and I understand that that is a a monumentous undertaking but to really um, examine his career and really appreciate his career I feel like you have to go in um, in chronological order you know, if we were not going in chronological order, there's no doubt about it that I would still start with Rocky IV because Rocky IV is the film that, let's face it, put Dolph on the map and uh, made him a uh, made him a name. You know what I mean? So he can thank uh, we we can thank Rocky Balboa, we can thank uh, Sylvester Stallone, whatever you want to say, for um, for bringing him uh, in, in you know bringing him to audiences. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's to this day, whenever he's publicizing one of his his straight-to-video movies, whether it's, you know, Don't Kill It or Skin Trade or, or any of those films... You know, he he's always getting the questions about Rocky Four, about oh, how did you get the role? How what was it like to kill Carl Weathers? Uh, you know, can you say? I mean, how many times has he been asked to say, "I must break you"? I mean, and he always seems pretty good-natured about it. That's another thing I'll give him credit for is you know, think after 30 plus years of of people asking you to say, "I must break you," that you would eventually be broken yourself, and uh, it it really has not. He has a very good nature way about him. Well, you know, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, as, as fans like we are, um, you've probably seen just about every interview like I have as well. And so you, at this point, you probably you, you get used to hearing um, him answer a lot of the same questions in the same way. You know what I mean? And so, so yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. But yeah, you know, Rocky Four is such a classic and um, I'm really looking forward to getting into this because, you know, like I said, this was the film that uh, put him out there and you know and i watched this again this is at least the you know i don't know 25th 30th time i've seen the film but it still holds up it still holds up it's there's a few elements that do not and we will get into those um but uh sure. you know it's still um it's still just such a badass movie i mean if you're looking for a film to really get you in the mood to uh to go work out and hit the gym my god there, there, there's no better film than, than this one yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, I think it's easily out of all of the Rocky films and, you know, include Creed with that. It, I think it's easily the most divisive mm-hmm. in terms of you've got a, a, a contingent of folks who love it and a contingent of folks who just can't stand it and think that it's basically kind of the lowest point for the franchise. Um, so it, it's fascinating in that respect, even though, you know, it was a gigantic hit when it came out. But, you know, I, I think it's kind of a lot of things from the 80s have, you know, sort of people have kind of uh, 
put in their crosshairs and they've decided you know that that's the, that was the worst of the 80s and you know we're going to kind of take our shots at it and I, and I know Rocky IV has kind of been victim to that and, and I feel it's unfair I mean I think it's it's obviously a very cartoonish film but it, it, in a, such a glorious fashion I don't know how you can't just have fun with it well yeah and you know and we were going to get into uh, we were going to get into this as well because um, I have copious amounts of notes for this one sir but <laughs> but you know it um yeah i would say it, it's my favorite of the entire rocky series um for obvious reasons maybe i'm a little biased um but you know it's, it's definitely my favorite um it's definitely the most fun i'd say as a rocky film it, itself um that can be up for uh up for debate a little bit but uh yeah i'm looking forward to getting into this are, are you ready sir Sure, definitely. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, the, the film starts off, you know, we have this opening shot. And the opening shot still it, it is just so amazing. You know, you get these glistening, rotating gloves emblazoned with the country. Um, and it definitely sets the stage for, you know, the film's themes and what you're getting into. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, this is the, the height of uh, sort of the 80s. U.S. versus Russia. I mean, it's a year after the uh, the '84 Olympics, where you know the Russians they pulled out of it, and you know obviously the, the, so many films from that time pitting America against Russia. And hey, Stallone's no fool. He he knows what's going on, so he he laps it up. And yeah, like you said, the the gloves in the beginning. I mean, there's just no no better way to basically tell your audience what this movie is about in the first minute than, than that than those gloves yeah no and um you know typical rocky trope is you know you have a flashback to the previous film and so you know as a side note the soundtrack to this film i imagine we're going to be getting into this but the soundtrack to this film is so epic you know not only is it classic 80s but you know like i said earlier it's that um it's the ultimate workout mix so you have these rotating gloves to the um set to the tune of you know eye of the tiger you know, by Survivor, and then we flash back to Rocky Three, where um, Rocky is in the middle of that final round with Clubber Lang. Um, you you see Clubber Lang getting getting tired, and uh, Rocky is taunting him, telling him, you know, you're not so bad. I mean, it really just it's it's such a uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the the best adjective to describe it, but it is just such a, a rocking way to to get this thing started. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I feel like Rocky Three and Rocky Four they they really kind of go well together. I think they're kind of I sort of label them as the super Rocky films. You know, they're 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 basically action movies in themselves. I mean, they're certainly of course set in the world of boxing, but they're essentially action films. And so you know, having three lead into four, I think is is just kind of the perfect. Uh, beginning and and then uh, of course going into that uh, final scene from Rocky Three where uh, Sly and uh, Carl Weathers have their private fight is, is also a good way to set up the beginning of Rocky Four, which deals so much with their relationship. You know, it definitely does, and that was gonna be what I was getting into. You know, these opening scenes are done extremely well. I mean, you know, um, like you said, um, how Rocky Four is essentially super Rocky. That's one of the things that I feel like kind of you know deviates it a bit from the rest of the series. But the opening scenes definitely um, parallel and go along quite well um, with the rest of the series. You know, it establishes multiple things. It establishes Rocky's home life. You know, he he's living the dream with a loving wife and a, a son.
son who's proud of him. You know, he has Polly still hanging on. But, you know, um, we, we really get some great um, family dynamics, you know, in the Balboa household. And there's a really sweet scene between Rocky and Adrian where they're still, uh, you know, like teenagers, still, you know, um, having this puppy love with one another. So you get these great, you know, sweet scenes, you know, between um, Sylvester Stallone and Talia Shire, um, the young man who plays a uh, little boy, excuse me, who plays his son and Polly. It really is. It really helps set the set the tone and you know before everything goes to you know goes to hell and everything um you know lets you know that um you know rocky's living the good life well but most definitely and you know certainly uh, you know among the key moments in those those opening scenes uh is the introduction of one of the more divisive characters in the Rocky franchise, and that that would be Polly's robot. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we're introduced, in my opinion, we're, we're going to come back to this, but, you know, we're introduced to the one element of the film that, I'm sorry, just does not hold up. I, I, and I can't imagine, I was young, you know, you're a little older than me, but... Um, you know, I, I was young, so I do not remember when this film came out. Apparently, my parents said that they took me to see it in the theaters. I don't remember that. But I got to wonder if when this, you know, came out in theaters in 85, was the robot cool back then Back then as well? Oh, I mean... oh abso- absolutely. I mean, there were, you know, robot toys everywhere. I mean, you had the robot toys that would walk and would, you know, make the funny noises, and they, they were everywhere, and, you know, this movie basically was trying to capitalize on the whole robot craze. I mean, robots were in all kinds of movies that they really had no place in. I mean, you look at, you know, Code of Silence, the Chuck Norris film, and it's, you know, there you go, right there. So, I mean, it, it basically is just trying to, it, it's the most 80s aspect of the film, and um, I don't have as big a problem with it as a lot of people do. Uh, to me, it's a, it's a good way to kind of symbolize sort of the excess of Rocky's life. That's exactly in what this I was going to say. Yeah, no, it's the ultimate sign of '80s excess. I feel like when when um, Sly or you know, I guess we're not buddies, so maybe I should call him Mr. Stallone. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, he, he, he's Sly to me. He's Sly, he's sly to me. But, you know, but, but when he was writing this, I think, you know, again, he wanted to establish Rocky is living the good life. Um, you know, Rocky is wealthy. And so what is a wealthy gift that he could have given Polly? Um, obviously, I think if he had get, gotten Polly a, 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 a car or something like that, maybe it would held up a little better. But, yeah, you, we, we get a robot that uh, that is introduced um, – it is a little silly, but um, I, I guess at the time it probably played well. Interestingly, if you remember in Cobra, um, also a uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone vehicle, um, you know, there's the scene where Brigitte Nielsen, who's also in Rocky Four as well, is having the model shoot, and she is, uh, yes. and she is yes. um, having that uh, that supermodel shoot with the robots as well. So I think Sly was definitely tapping into 80s love of, uh, of robots and... Um, it's it's definitely present in both these films. Yeah, I mean you can't forget. Yeah, the, obviously the Cobra photo shoot, um, photography by Sledgehammer, which I think just makes it all all the better personally. Um, but but yeah, I mean the the robot again, lots of people hate it. To me, the biggest missed opportunity with the robot really has nothing to do with with Rocky Four. But how could we not have seen? Uh, a moment where the robot is repossessed at the beginning of Rocky Five. That would have been, I to me, is what we what we needed. We needed closure on that relationship. So that was that's really the only missed opportunity related to the robot is no scene of it being carted away when his possessions are taken away in Rocky Five. I think that would have played well. I mean, obviously they don't have to make the robot a character 
But uh, yeah, they could have seen, shown that um, being carted away as well. But uh, apparently, um, that that robot was uh, chosen as like the the nanny to take care of uh, Rocky Jr. when uh, when Rocky and uh, and uh, Adrian are are in Russia. Apparently, so. Well, I mean, I'd rather trust the kid with the uh, with the robot than Polly. So, I mean, Polly's got to go with them. So, uh, why not? I mean, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. I never really thought about that, but that that is an interesting angle. Is who who exactly was watching that? Well, it's kid. interesting because in those scenes at the end in the final fight, um, you know, you you see Rocky with with his, Rocky Junior with his friends cheering on uh, his dad in the in the fight, and you just see the robot in the background. So, I'm assuming that the robot was taking care of them. I guess that that's the only thing I can think of. I imagine they had a maid, so maybe the maid was as well. But gotta have that robot in the background. Well, I mean, you figure if the robot is good enough to bring cans of Strohs to Polly, and you can trust it to take care of the kid, there's you know, it makes sense to me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, um, so yeah, Polly gets the robot. We move on, and you know, the film. The thing I was gonna say about this film is this film is lean. I mean, this film is lean. It is the shortest of the Rocky films. 91 minutes but man it hits the necessary beat so we establish that rocky like i said is at home with his family all appears to be good um in the balboa household and then boom we go right into these newspaper headlines where the russians come into the u.s we have a boxer who is ivan drago and a swimmer who who come in ready to make their mark in the u.s were you like me i mean i was a swimmer back in the day back in high school and were you like me just wondering okay if they're if their supreme boxer of the nation is drago gotta wonder what this swimmer is like man yeah i mean i, I definitely was hoping for some sort of a spin-off film michael spitz versus that swimmer um you know i i that that's what i was always hoping for but it just never came to pass yeah so we come in um the russians come in we see again 80s excess we see apollo creed in the pool uh playing with his dog playing fetch um a tv is hanging outside and he sees this uh he sees this news report where ivan drago with his wife and with his trainer and everyone is entering the u.s ready to make their mark and creed sees an opportunity i wanted to ask you you know creed is extremely cocky here but i wanted to get your opinion why do you think creed has such a desire to challenge Drago at this point. You know, he establishes with with Rocky, you know, that um you know Rocky got to end on top. And so and that's one thing I get, especially with masculinity and male machismo and everything. Rocky got to end and essentially retire, if you will, while he was on top. Creed feels that he, you know, does not get that, which I understand, but why do you think Drago is is his opportunity for that? Well, I, I mean, I think so much of Creed's persona, certainly in the, the earlier films, revolved around America with his whole look and, you know, coming out in, in the first film the way he does. And so when he sees, you know, they have this gargantuan Russian coming into coming into town and basically saying hey i'm the i'm gonna be the king of boxing uh without even really saying a word without even having a, a professional fight at least that we see i mean certainly none in america no he, he takes offense to it and i think he's always kind of been looking for some way to get back into the spotlight um, you know, he did. He did have the uh, the the commentary that he provided in Rocky Three. Um, so I don't know. Apparently, maybe he he didn't uh, he didn't 
fall into a career as a commentator. I thought they should have had Clubber Lang as one of the commentators in this one, but that again, that's just one of my little tangents. But um, so I, I think that he basically looked at this as his opportunity to uh, put his name back on top and you know show the world that hey, I'm I'm gonna be representing America. I'm gonna take down the big bad Russian. Uh, it's gonna be just like you remember me, no problem. And 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 that's basically what it is. He's just not ready to to go quietly into the night. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because you know you brought up some excellent points there. And you know, you're right. I don't even think about this, but yeah. Apollo Creed is the embodiment of America, especially if you go back to Rocky One. He really is the way he um, enters the ring and everything. So yeah, that definitely does make sense. He is extremely cocky though and overly confident. And at first, I was thinking to myself, like, my God, is he is he really asking for it? But then I started looking at the uh, the Mayweather McGregor fight and those press conferences that those guys were having, and I'm thinking this is just this is just a standard trope that goes along with boxing is you always have those loudmouths who uh maybe they're not so much a loudmouth in real life but they're you know putting on a show for for you know example and so when i was watching this the first few times i was thinking to myself man creed has it coming to him i mean creed completely has it coming to him he's overly confident overly cocky but then you know i also started thinking to myself well, wait a minute he's putting on a show he's playing a character you know um for for, for the audience for the for the public masses well, yeah, I mean, and that's what I like so much about the, the the scenes before the fight, you know, between Jest, Creed, and Rocky, you know, where you're really getting the real Apollo, you know, where he's you know, really stating why he wants to do this fight, where his head is at. But, yeah, when it comes to the press conference, he knows that it's on him. He's the only one who can sell this fight because Drago's not going to say anything. He's just basically sitting there. So he's got to basically do 100% of the promo and and that's that's you know where he's he shines i mean he was uh the, obviously his character was loosely based on uh, muhammad ali and and that was basically what ali was called upon to do so often was sell the fights you know put the other guy down and uh and, and that's basically the persona that apollo was comfortable with and he's got no problem slipping back into it and it's you know it's, it's also just a, a great showcase for carl weathers because he's just so natural at, at you know laying down some of those zingers um you know he's just so good as this character and unfortunately we don't get to see him for a ton of the film so i i love that we have these scenes early on where it's basically it's basically his movie for the first act you know it really is his movie and i'm glad you brought that up as well because you know carl weathers if you look at carl weathers's career um he had the makings for being an action star as well if you look at him um in uh well let's in Rocky Four, for example, and then later in Predator. I mean, the guy is cut. The guy was thick, and it's unfortunate that he did not get a huge um, action career, at, you know, as the rest of his compatriots. He had a few. He had a few chances, you know, with uh, Action Jackson and Hurricane Smith and a few others, but none of those really latched on. But I have to wonder, if you were Carl Weathers at the time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get into his mindset here, okay? Um, here he is. He's been in the first three Rocky films. He's been such an integral uh, part of the series. And then Sly comes along and Sly says, hey, I'm writing and directing the next film. I want you to be in it. But oh, yeah, you your character has to die. You know, granted, the fact that his character dies is, you know, a pivotal moment. And that's what springs Rocky in action. But I got to wonder, do you, do you think that Carl Weathers maybe had some, uh, I don't want to say sour grapes, but may, may have been a little... 
you know, upset that, uh, you know, his character is going to be written out like this. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that it wasn't the, the ideal direction that he wanted the character to go in. I mean, he was such a crucial part of the, the first three films, and he's a crucial part of four. It's just uh, for the, just the first half hour. Um, so I'm sure it was definitely something that he was maybe not thrilled with, but he's also, I'm sure, realized that this this franchise is kind of what put him on the map. And um, so, you know, the, he... he he basically was being a good soldier. He uh, read the script, saw what was going to happen, and he did it. Now, I think what's a, maybe a more interesting story is uh, is sort of how, what has his relationship been with the franchise since? In terms of, I know there was a, a lot of talk when Rocky Balboa came out about um, they wanted to use his footage for uh, his footage from some of the previous films, which apparently he did not allow, and you, so you did not see you did see footage of Clubber Lang, footage of Ivan Drago, but you did not see any of the footage of Apollo in Rocky Balboa. But then, flash forward about a decade later, when Creed came out. Basically, I guess he realized that uh, that essentially Creed was almost a tribute to his character and, and allowed all that footage and was actually involved in promoting the film when it came out. So I think there's a lot of interesting things with how Carl feels about the franchise. I think now he views it as a in a much more favorable light ever since Creed came out. But I, I've always kind of wondered what the whole story was with uh, not allowing the footage uh, in Rocky Balboa. You know, I wondered that as well. And it, there's a part of me that, you know, I feel kind of bad for Carl Weathers, to be honest, because I feel like, you know, when Rocky Balboa came out, it was a little bit of sour grapes, you know, because, you know, he he was a, a great actor who definitely, you know, had um, had some promise, unfortunately fell on some bad luck with uh, – with the choices and with the roles and with the box office that those roles gave. So um, obviously I can't get into his headspace, but I kind of looked at when Balboa came out, that was a little bit of, uh, of some sour grapes at the moment. But yeah, like you said, when Creed came out, he almost has to let his, you know, let, let that footage get out there because let's face it, it, it is, like you said, a tribute to the character. It's a spinoff of that character. So what I would like to see in Creed 2, which we're going to be getting to, especially if Drago comes back, um, but what I would like to see is what I think would be really cool. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'd like to see if it, maybe it's a dream sequence or something like that, but something between Adonis Creed and um, Apollo. Maybe, it, like I said, a dream sequence or something. But I think it'd be really cool if they brought Carl Weathers back. They need to at this point, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I think I would have to part company with, with that one. I, I Basically, I, I've kind of already seen what a sequence like that may look like with the whole Mickey scene in Rocky five, <laughs> which I, I'm not a big, I was not a big fan of. I, I, some people, they like it. I don't know. I feel like there's almost been a, a slight resurgence in people who now claim that they enjoy Rocky five. I don't quite get it myself, but Hey, it, 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 I love Rocky four. Some people are, are now trying to get on the Rocky five bandwagon. I never liked that Mickey scene. I, I think there are there are better ways to pay tribute to the Apollo character than than by just having weather show up in some kind of a dream sequence or you know some sort of I mean just the 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 brief moments that we we see his character used in in Creed to me were enough I mean I, without having to actually see him himself in the film. Okay, well 
if any of the listeners out there um, hate my idea as well, um, please don't uh, don't attack me on that. It was just an idea. I was spitballing it here. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, if we go forward, if we go forward a bit, uh, we get to the big fight. And th- it, this fight is definitely being sold on America versus Russia. And boy, Creed is just lapping it up. He Again, he is Mr. America coming out. And we get this James Brown dance sequence. We get, you know, the first of quite a few montages in the film, but we get the James Brown dance sequence, which definitely plays along with the whole Creed character. He is America. He is 80s excess. And the whole the whole fight is being um, primed as being an exhibition, you know, fun uh, bout. And so it makes sense that um, they're going to bring in this super celebrity to also help embody America during the, uh, you know, during this fight. I will say I think the sequence goes a little too long. I'm not going to be as bold and say that the sequence should be excised completely from the film, but I will say that it goes a bit too long. Would you agree? Uh, I wouldn't say too long. I just feel it's it's unfair. <laughs> you know, you have Drago, you know, basically I guess thinking that he's kind of just uh, getting his head ready for the fight. He's by himself. He, he doesn't even get really any kind of an introduction. He just oh, everything opens up, the ring comes up, he, he's just there, and then there's this big song and dance number. I don't, it just seemed very unfair to me, to Drago, to have to throw him in the middle of this whole song and dance routine when, I mean, he's really just trying to get his head together for the fight. Well, yeah, exactly, and I will I will admit, I don't know about you, but this, this is one sequence that I will zip through. I will fast forward a little bit um, when it's on. I just... Uh, it's really not necessary to the rest of the film. I mean, there's plenty of montages in the film, but um, this is one of those montages that, um, you know, like I said, I'm not going to say it needs to be excised, but it's something that I don't feel I need to see on repeated viewings. Um, maybe it's because I'm not a huge James Brown fan. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, and you know, and here, this is a Dolph podcast, and we haven't really fully spoken about this, but yeah. I guess apparently, you know, um, it's 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 record now and everything. But there were thousands of um, of hopefuls who were trying out for the role of of Ivan Drago, and you know, Dolph was fortunate enough to get it. You really can't imagine anybody else in the role. Um, but man, he Dolph not only is he just such an opposing presence in this film, but he is perfect for for Ivan Drago. You know, he is not. You know, Dolph is not Russian. He is Swedish. Um, but man, he just, he has this look that just, you know, that, that just lets you know he is a badass that you don't want to mess with. Kind of surprised Carl Weathers <laughs> did, did not appear to be more frightened of him at first. But what, what do you think of Dolph in this role? Oh, I mean, he's, he's outstanding. It's, uh, it's just the epitome of, of what America is afraid of in terms of Russia you know, especially at that point, is everyone thinks, well, God, I'm going to open my front door and my whole block is going to be taken over by a bunch of guys that look like this. And uh, it's, you know, it, it, the hair and just the whole physique and just the whole look of him is, uh, it's just the the absolute vision of what America is afraid about Russia. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, Dolph, um, in various interviews and everything, you know, he was, he, he always gets asked about, you know, auditioning for this role. And at first he was deemed to be too tall, which, you know, is, is kind of funny because that's one of the best things about this villain is the fact that he, is, oh, yeah. he just towers over Balboa. But I guess, you know, the other, the other auditions, the other guys auditioning for the role, um, 
we're being loud and we're yelling and everything like you know, like you would imagine a Russian doing. Um, not to sound stereotypical or anything, but <laughs> but you have Dalt come and he sees all these other all these other you know auditions doing that, and he just decides to play his very cool, very calm, very collected, silent, very stoic in a way, which really helps sell the character and make him more intimidating and imposing, in my opinion. Right, and with regards to his place within the Rocky franchise, you know, obviously the first two films, you've got Apollo, a great talker. You know, he's he can, you know, again, in the mold of Ali, he can whip out zingers with the best of them. And then you get to three, where you've got Clubber Lang, who basically takes that idea and turns it up to 11 with some of the things he's saying, you know, inferring that he would be a better lover to Adrian. Uh, all kinds of colorful, colorful moments from Clubber Lang. So... To basically go in the complete opposite direction with Drago and have him say, you know, maybe 15 words in the whole film, to me it was a stroke of genius. It, it just sets him apart perfectly, and you, whereas you don't know what this guy is thinking, you don't know what's going on in his head, he's just a badass, and he's basically just going to turn you into a bloody pulp. No, exactly, and you know, that's one thing that I, one of the many things that I have to give Sly Major credit for, is, you know, as you look at ma many franchises that are out there, um, I'll use the James Bond franchise for for example, many of the villains, there's some memorable villains, but many of those villains sent, tend to, um, just kind of all get a lot of them feel the same you know and they all just kind of get lumped together sly was able to craft unique villains that all stand on their own legs and are all unique in different ways so yeah you're exactly right you know he had the loud mouth in in rocky three in the form of clubber lang and so it makes sense that he would go to a um just such a tall stoic silent presence that is drago for rocky four and then if we go to rocky five you know um like you said it has um it has its its lovers and its haters as well but it was an interesting touch for it to go to a young up-and-coming fighter for rocky five and have him be a protege that was a you know each villain I, I hate to say villain, but each each antagonist, if you will, or, or other fighter. Yeah, opponent. Opponent, yeah. They're all different in some kind of way. Yeah, I mean, with, with Tommy Gunn in Part 5, I think you basically have sort of the Frankenstein story. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Rocky's basically taking this very raw fighter and sort of turns him into a monster. There's various other factors. But but again, that was, even though I'm not a huge fan of the film, I, I, that was an interesting direction to go into. Um, whereas with the, with Drago, I just love the fact that he's completely different from um, both Apollo and Clubber, and he, he's just unlike really anything else that we had seen. It, there's been many Drago ripoffs since then. You, know, you look at Best of the Best 2 and, and countless movies where they've kind of, uh, you know, no retreat, no surrender. There's tons of, of Drago ripoffs, um, but really we hadn't seen anything quite like that up until that point. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought up no, no retreat, no surrender, because the Ivan Drago ripoff is fellow Van Dam, or excuse me, fellow Dolph Lundgren compatriot uh, Van Dam. Um, I always found it a little ironic that one of his first films is a film that is ripping off a Dolph Lundgren character, you know? 
So well, sure. I, I to me, I always say when you need to cast, uh, you know, uh, Russian supervillains, you go with a guy from Sweden and a guy from Belgium. Exactly. So yeah, so we get into the fight, and you know, fun fact, you know, while you know while reading about the film and watching the film, um, it's out there. I guess there was some animosity between Carl Weathers and Dolph Lundgren um, to the point where Weathers almost walked off the set. I don't know if you've heard about this or if you've read about this, but I guess Carl Weathers and Dolph Lundgren were you know sparring doing that scene you know keep in mind this is also filmed in the 80s before cgi existed so when they're filming these punches and everything i mean they are really landing uh landing contact not full force obviously but um i guess carl weathers almost walked off the set because dolph was just going at it going at it too hard yeah i've i've heard those stories and, you know, obviously there's the famous story, which we might get to later, of uh, Dolph injuring Stallone on the set. So I, I feel like those were probably his instructions when he was uh, filming these scenes was to, hey, you know, Stallone was the director. So I, I, I know that he's known for wanting his actors to kind of go full force and to really put everything into it. And I think at that point, after how many years Carl Weathers had been doing these films, he didn't want really any part of that. Um, he wanted to just say, hey, you know, it's a movie. Let's just make it look good and uh, figure it out in the editing room. I don't need to be getting uh, hit, in, hit in the face here. So I've, I've heard those stories. Uh, I will say that um, there was a recent uh, Q&A from some convention somewhere where both uh, Dolph and Carl Weathers appeared together and which was it was really fun to see because they they seemed to get along pretty well and wh whatever animosity there may have been back in uh, 85 or 84 when this was filmed I, I think it is gone by now but yeah I, I have heard, certainly heard those stories that uh, Carl Weathers was was not too fond of of Dolph's uh, physicality uh, in that scene well you know and it, it only makes sense because you know again this is in the 80s but they, they, they were they were pretty young I mean they, they were young guys at this time so you can only imagine you know you're you're in this this movie this you know let's face it it is an action movie you're in this action movie with all this testosterone these you know the big guys each one is you know jockeying for you know position on the screen and everything you know it, it only makes sense that um, you know one or two or whoever of the of the actors filming these scenes is going to take it to the next level um, ironically you know um, Dolph went on the record you know when he was filming Universal Soldier so many years later um, roles were reversed and you know Van Damme who was uh, I wouldn't say up and coming but who was still pretty young in his career uh, in filming a, a scene was you know taking it a little too far um, to the point where <laughs> Dolph had to threaten that he was going to kick Van Damme's ass if Van Damme did it again so it's kind of kind of cute that the uh, the thing comes full circle in that sense yeah yeah that that i forgot that story about universal soldier but uh, but that is true it's kind of the, the shoe was on the other foot at that point i mean i think van damme i mean he had a a huge a huge issue with not really knowing how to pull punches or how to pull knives before they hit people in the eye so i think he had a pretty extreme problem no uh, and he still does have that problem he, he did something on the set of dragon eyes where he chipped a uh, an extra's tooth i mean how many years ago was cyborg and uh and universal soldier and here he is back in 2010 2011 chipping an extra's tooth on dragon eyes <laughs> like yeah and then there was also um uh uh liam hemsworth uh story about expendables 2 stating that he uh he didn't really uh, pull any punches in their little brief skirmish in that film yeah no so yeah but you know what um 
you know, Van Damme, his, his, his experience aside and Dolph's experience aside, you know, like I said, it only makes sense. I mean, you know, these guys, they're young and they're, you know, they're getting a taste of Hollywood, you know, of course they're going to be, you know, taking it to the next level and giving it all they've got, you know, they, they want to, they want it to look good and they want to look good on screen, you know? Right. Well, plus I put myself in Carl Weathers head is like, it's bad enough that that his character has to die. I'm being killed. I'm being killed off on screen. I really don't need to be taking any abuse um, off screen. So you know, let's. I, I can understand that. It's it's it makes sense. I mean, they're making a movie. They're not really boxing each other. No. Yeah. But you know, we get into this fight, and it is clear early on that. Um, you know that Apollo Creed he hasn't even met his match I mean there there is no match that, you know to be said um it's it's made clear early on in the first round that he is completely outnumbered and he is just no match for um for the the Russian what what is what is Drago's nickname in this he has a nickname does he not uh boy um, isn't it the Siberian you got me. I... something I don't remember the exact uh, the exact nickname because you know the nicknames come out fast and furious in these films. I mean, I think uh, Apollo when he's entering the ring, he's got more than you can shake a stick at. Um, so I, I don't quite remember uh, Drago's nickname. Um, I, I do remember that the commentary of the fight is provided by a longtime sports broadcaster Stu Nahan who uh, many people will remember as the, the, the sportscaster who gives Jeff Spicoli his prize during the uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High surf contest uh, dream sequence. I did not know that. Oh, yes. All right, all right. So, uh, so yeah, we, you know, we have this brutal fight, and, um, again, choreographed excellent, you know, j- just as good as the, uh, the final fight, in my opinion. And, you know, th- this is something else that, uh, that I read up on, but, you know, when when Carl Weathers lands to the ground, um, when he gets that final blow and he lands to the ground, you notice his body twitch, um, or whatever, when he hits the ground. And I get, yeah, no, that, that, that twitch is, uh, is just seared in my it's head. It's terrifying. I mean, it's one of the most, oh, it's one of the most just vivid, just like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there really, there really hadn't been a moment like that in the Rocky films no. up until that point. No, it's completely so, terrifying. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he falls to the ground and he just twitches, I guess that was Carl Weathers. That was his idea. That was completely improv. He wanted to add more realism to the scene, and it works. Uh, St- Stallone did not instruct him to do that. That was that was Weathers wanting to add, um, you know, wanting to add some realism to that scene. And it works because, like I said, it is, it, it, is, it is brutal. It's terrifying. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's it does the perfect job of getting the audience to hate a, a villain very quickly because everybody by that point is is all everybody's all in for Apollo even though he was you know the antagonist in the first two films you know by this time you know everybody loves Apollo and it just see him just brutally butchered in the ring like that and again with that twitch uh, it, it basically gets everybody on t- on Rocky's side and ready to see him dish out his own payback later in the film. Yeah, so you know, so we move on. You know, Rocky now has motivation. Rocky now has um, a reason to step back in the ring. And this is something that I that I wanted to get into because okay, he's getting back in the ring to avenge the death of his friend, which makes sense. Um, I feel that this this um, what's the word I'm looking for? But it deviates from the message that is later um, expressed in the film a bit. But yeah, Rocky decides to get back in the ring, 
he challenges Drago to to a um, to a match um, to avenge his friend, and he decides he's going to go to Russia, um, you know, for you know a place to uh, clear his head, and he feel, feels that he can get um, better training in there, which makes complete sense because we saw the kind of training that he was getting back home in Rocky Three, and you know, as a result, he lost to Clubber Lang that first time. So it makes sense, but you know, we get this montage. I wanted to get to this because we get to the second montage of the film. I don't know if you notice this or not, but like I said, the film is lean, okay? The film is 90, oh, yes. 91 minutes, okay? I don't know if you've clocked it or not, but over 30 minutes of the film are montages, okay? Doesn't doesn't surprise me at so all. So you have a 90-minute film, 30 minutes are montages. That means you have, basically the movie is an hour of original material, but it still works. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's still It still holds up and is still such a such a rocking time to watch man yeah i mean there there is there are scenes that i feel like could have been added on to this film and would have would have been perfectly justified in including for example okay so apollo is killed they go to funeral scene rocky gives speech at the funeral very 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 eloquent then we get press conference basically announcing f- fight with Drago in Russia. Then we get Adrian coming home to reporters demanding her thoughts on this fight that she has not even heard about. I know, yeah, it, it, it goes quick. I mean, it, it goes what, way too what quick. Kind of, but what kind of husband is Rocky? Where, uh, yeah, what, what are you going to do today, Rocky? Maybe mention that you're going to have this big press conference where you announce the fight and going to Russia. I mean, I know they have the scene after where they basically discuss this, but it might have been a good idea to just run it by Adrian beforehand. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I got to wonder, this is one of the things that bugged me about, that bugs me about this one, and also that bugged me about about Rocky Five, and I guess to an extent you could say Rocky Three as well. But what is the time frame on this, okay? Because if you look at um, professional boxing, you look at these fights, these things are announced at press conferences, you know, about a, anywhere from, what, months to a full year out. So what do you see is the time frame from Rocky announcing that he is going to challenge Drago in Russia to Christmas Day. I mean, because the film, like I said, I, I hate to, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but the film is so lean. How much time is being passed here? I, I imagine the time between Drago's fight with Apollo and uh, Drago's fight with Rocky, Rocky is uh, two weeks. <laughs> That's not enough time. I've... I've... <laughs> I believe that he fought Creed on December 11th, and uh, then two weeks later fought Rocky on Christmas Day. That's, and, and you know, and and, if I, I, and I realize this isn't the the Rocky podcast, but if we go if we go to Rocky Five, again, you know, that film is a little longer, but those fights are set up and just happen so quick. I mean, come on, anybody who follows professional boxing, even MMA for that matter, a big fight or whatever is going to get announced and is going to get you know the publicity. You're looking at, you know, what would you say, at least five, six months, right? At the very least. At the very least, yeah. I mean, I will say that with the recent Mayweather-McGregor fight, even though they had been talking it up, you know, for maybe the last two years, the the actual fight that they just had recently, that was only announced maybe six weeks before it happened. So that was very short. 
in terms of announcing a specific date. Um, typically, there's there's you know way more buildup before that. Um, now, granted, we people have been talking about that fight for quite a while now, but in terms of actually setting a date, it, it was about six weeks. But with Rocky IV, I, I think that that's Stallone really. I don't think he he gave a damn about any of that it was just boom 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 montage training scene fight montage training scene fight and uh, you know you can you can question the logic uh endlessly but in terms of making an entertaining film i, I think he won out he won out no you're definitely right and you know before we get to these training sequences because let's face it these training sequences are the crux of the film you know second to of course the the final fight um, the training sequences are amazing, but I wanted to touch briefly on the second montage. Um, Rocky comes home to Adrian. Um, she is she is hurt. She is upset, rightfully so. I mean, he has he has sure. he has challenged this. Um, I don't want to use the term animal, you know, but he's challenged this machine. That's a better term, right? He's challenged this machine to a uh, to a fight in Russia. She doesn't seem to know about it. And she's scared. She's, you know, and it's completely justifiable. I mean, this is the father to her, you know, to her son. Um, she's scared. She, she says, you can't win, you know, which, you know, makes sense, you know. Um, Rocky's upset, gets in his car, goes for a drive. Um, we get a montage to the song No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper. Here's my question. We get scenes from Rocky 1 all the way through 3. I gotta wonder how necessary is this scene. The film's only ninety minutes, and we're getting scenes from. I can okay. Let me back up. I can understand this montage working a hundred percent well if it was just Rocky reflecting on his relationship with his friend Apollo Creed. So us seeing scenes, you know, um, reflecting that relationship. But we're getting scenes of him meeting Adrian. We're getting you know all sorts of things that I gotta wonder was this just thrown in to pad the running time? Well, I think it's it's vital. Let's say you're somebody who maybe had no interest in seeing Rocky or Rocky 2 or Rocky 3. <laughs> Suddenly, Rocky 4 is out and you're like, "Hey, you know, I've been hearing so much about these films. I'm going to go check out this part 4 and let's see what they're all about." Well, you basically get one, two, and three shown to you in about two minutes. I, I think it's it's a brilliant move. I don't know why more major franchises haven't done this. Uh, it's it's a great buffer for anybody that has never seen one film in a franchise, but suddenly decides to see the fourth one. Okay, all right. Now, as a fan though, who loves the films and has seen the films and everything, do you still appreciate it on that level as well? I like it. I it's just it's total cheese ball. It it's, it makes zero sense. It's not in any way needed in the film, but it's a cool song, and he's driving a cool car, and you get to see a lot of stuff. And go, oh, I remember that. You know, it's 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 like the South Park with the member berries. You know, oh, remember Mick? Oh yeah, I remember him. <laughs> he was great. And uh, yeah, I remember when Adrian looked all frumpy. Oh yeah, that was cool. That was cool. So uh, on that level, I think it's it's fantastic. I mean, any any excuse that you can get to see Apollo and Rocky hug on the beach is is fine by me. You know, my, and my wife has only seen this movie a few times, but she watched it with me again and was kind of coming in and out, and she had to laugh 
at uh, at those scenes where you know he he he's just so victorious and he and Apollo are hugging on the beach. I do like those scenes. They are they do definitely lend and definitely let the um definitely get the idea across that um yeah these were best friends here and Rocky lost his best friend and he is going to make things right and, and you know and avenge his friend's death. So well and and in terms of let, let I mean if, if I'm going to get semi serious in terms of where Rocky's head is at at that moment. I mean, if you ever drive anywhere by yourself, you know, that's usually what you're doing is you're thinking about stuff. You're thinking about, oh, this this part, this year in my life maybe went wrong. Or, oh, I remember that moment was fantastic. So, I mean, it does make sense that in that moment, if he was going to go off and be on a drive uh, on his own, that he'd probably think about Rocky 1, Rocky 2, and Rocky 3. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So you you used the uh, <laughs> you, you used the adjective cheese ball, and so I feel like that that is the best way to go into the next set of montages here. So we have Rocky enter Russia. He gets in. He he has this little cabin where he, um, Polly, and Duke are gonna be uh, are gonna be staying to help him train. And we get introduced to these to these training sequences. The first set is Hearts of Fire by uh, John Cafferty. We get another training sequence um, with a score by Vince DiCola. Um, I love these scenes. I mean, yeah, they are cheese ball. Um, no, I don't. I can't imagine any fighter is going to be training like this. But it really gives a fantastic contrast. You know, you have you have Drago, who is a product of he. Well, he's a product of his country, but he's a product of technology and performance enhancers, and he's using all sorts of fitness and gym equipment. Whereas Rocky. He's just keeping it real, okay? <laughs> he's keeping it real. He's he's humble, and he is training in the element. He is climbing mountains. He is throwing rocks. He is chopping wood. I mean, it really is a fantastic contrast. And as cheesy as it is, you cannot help but watch these scenes and just enjoy them. Oh, oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, great montages. The the great way to contrast how Drago is is the 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 machine. I mean, he, he basically, he is a machine, whereas Rocky, it's all blue collar. That's how we do it in America. <laughs> we would never use machines for any of this. It's, it's Everything is analog, and we're going to do things the right way, and, uh, and Russia, they're going to basically turn a man into a robot in order to, to beat the great American champion. Uh, so, yeah, they are tr- tr- tremendous sequences. Um, the, the the shots of Stallone climbing the mountain. I mean, it's all fantastic. I, I guess some people will roll their eyes at that. I, I give it to me, give it to me all. I I can't get enough of it. There, that's fantastic. I personally, I I don't know who who has the louder um scream of their opponent's name. Is it is it Rocky on the mountain uh, yelling Drago or is it Shatner uh, yelling Khan in Star Trek 2? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. I haven't seen uh I haven't seen uh, Wrath of Khan in quite a while, but um but no, it is a fantastic scene. I just love the parallel of it. You know, you have you have Drago who is doing one exercise and you have Rocky who's doing the exact the exact same exercise, but like I said, he's keeping it real and he's doing it in the element. You have Ro- uh, you have Drago, excuse me, who is on the leg sled, you know, pumping iron that way, and then you have Rocky who is pulling Polly on a makeshift sled. It's cheesy and silly, sure, but you know it pays off. And you know, like I said, I was talking about this with a couple of buddies, 
one time and you can't help but watch these scenes and not get in the not get in into the moment and say man I want to go out for a run right now. I want to go hit the gym and, and pump some iron. You know, no matter how what kind of shape you're in, it, it really Sly does a fantastic job in in getting you pumped up. Yeah, I mean they're they're the kind of the songs instantly you know make you want to get off the couch and do something productive. Do I ever do anything productive? No, but they make <laughs> you want to, and that's the important thing. Well, but I will say at as as you know, maybe cheesy. I know I've used that word maybe a little too much, but as over the top as hey, to take another Stallone ref- film, sly reference there. <laughs> as as over the top as those scenes in the Russian cabin are, there is a phenomenal quiet scene during that part of the film between Rocky and Duke, and I love their their bit of dialogue together it's even though you know duke is in pretty much the whole movie you see him there you know he doesn't really have a whole lot of dialogue but that scene between him and rocky where he basically tells rocky that you are apollo spirit you got to go do it to me I, I i really i love tony burton in these movies uh, again that's one of the reasons i dislike five is because he really has nothing to do in five and that, so that that moment between him and Rocky, even though all, a lot of that stuff when they're actually in Russia is 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 kind of a, a cheese tastic, not that scene. That scene is really well done, and it's a great moment between those two characters. Oh no, Duke is definitely one of the um, the unsung hero of this uh, of this entire franchise because he gets some of the most motivational, um, awesome lines. I mean, he's going to get a couple in the. Uh, uh, in the final fight, but even in Rocky Balboa, when he is uh, given that uh, that monologue that he gives to Sylvester Stallone as as Rocky's getting ready to you know embark on this training thing, do you, do you remember this where he's saying you know oh we're yes. gonna make you a uh, uh, what does he call him? But he says you know we're gonna be focusing on blunt force trauma with you. Yeah, it, it that it's one of my favorite parts of Rocky Balboa, and you know it, it's definitely uh, sad that he has passed within the last couple years. Um, really, a, a really good actor, you know, a great character actor. Would see him pop up and stuff all the time. Uh, you know, the original Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Uh, you know, he was he was even in Hook. Uh, he's you know one of the the pirates in Hook. Uh, just, just a really cool actor, and you know that that scene in the cabin between him and Stallone, it, it's one that I don't think people give enough credit to when when they talk about Rocky IV, and they just kind of dismiss it as oh, very cartoonish, and oh, it's just you know a big one long big music video because there there are moments like that. And uh, it, it's it's something that the movie d- deserves more credit for. Well, you know, look, if this is going to be called one big long music video, I hate bringing this up, but uh, I'd rather watch this music video any day than Spider-Man Three, which was you know one big long music video that was terrible. So, well, yes, yes, and, and I mean, I I think even the people involved in Spider-Man Three would agree with that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you you mentioned uh, Tony Burton, and he has another wonderful scene where he's playing chess with um with the um one of the russians as well inside the cabin which kind of you know helps um you know establish you know that um these two countries can be friends so that is a nice little quiet scene as well it's only a few seconds but um i i I really appreciated that scene as well on on watching this again yeah i mean those are those are little moments and they're, they're very much appreciated 
and you know it, it's just good that you that they, that you have that connection to Apollo coming with Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's to me it's like whereas uh, whereas Duke tells Rocky that that he's the spirit of Apollo. To me, having Duke in Rocky's corner it is sort of Apollo's spirit at that fight because you know in the earlier films. You basically you don't see Creed without Duke. No, you're exactly right. So, but as Rocky is training, we have Adrian who has decided to jump a flight, which makes me wonder. I do have to question your two week um, training regimen because for her to just suddenly jump, you know, up and jump on a flight and go out to Russia as well, I gotta wonder. He he had to have been out there for a couple months then, right? For Adrian to suddenly join him. No, no, definitely. I mean, I was I was being a bit flippant okay. with two weeks. It's just in terms of just the just the way the movie goes from funeral to press conference to we're in Russia. I mean, there's just there's just no fat at all in between. So it just kind of gives the impression that these things are happening within weeks of each other. I, I personally, if I was Adrian, instead of telling Rocky, you know, you can't win earlier, I think why wouldn't she just say? How about just New Year's Day? How about we just have Christmas here at home? You know, how about New Year's Day we head out there? But, you know, apparently that was not in the cards. Um, so, you know, it, it's great to see her come back. Who doesn't like Adrian? You know, every time every time she's she's there, I mean, she's as, as big a part of this franchise as uh, Stallone is. No, and now that she's back, you know, let's face it, Rocky cannot win if he doesn't have Adrian there in his corner. So the fact that she is back... Um, you know, and she is now in his corner. We get the, you know, the third montage here. Um, and now we, there's another training montage. But now at this point, Adrian is there helping, helping Rocky train. And, you know, again, we've already discussed these training montages. But, I mean, what would this film be without these? They're, they're, they're done just so exceptionally. About well. a half hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about a half hour. <laughs> about, Pretty much. About a half hour, yeah. So... Rocky is now ready for this fight, right? And he has uh, he, he's now entered the ring. We, we're coming in. Um, we get another sweet scene between Polly and Rocky as Rocky is entering the ring. And we have Polly tell Rocky, you know, if I could be anyone, I'd be you. I, I don't know about you, but I personally, I really liked this scene because I feel like this was, this was Polly um, – saying thank you to Rocky for all that Rocky has done over the years for Polly, um, as, as, as good as Polly can possibly do this. You know, I mean, he's not the type to really come out and say thank you, but it really is such a sweet scene. Yeah, well, I mean, I always say that, you know, if you, if one night in a drunken stupor, you know, you throw a liquor bottle at a, at a pinball machine with your brother-in-law's image on it, and that same brother-in-law is the man that comes and bails you out. I mean, that's a friend for life. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I don't know if I'd allow that dude in my house, but, but maybe I'm not. Yeah, I'm not I mean, Rocky though. So. No, no. I mean, I think he's got a lot of bedrooms, so it's probably not. It's not like he's living on top of them. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a nice scene. 
who doesn't like Polly? I mean, he says some pretty vile things. If, if you look at the original film, man, he really says some. So he has some real choice he's, words in that film. He's that... almost downright evil if you look at the the original film, and then oh yeah, and they just progress. You know, I, I'm, uh, okay, and this is another interesting fact. But if you look at the films, um, if you look at Polly um, as the film as the series progresses, he is just a total um, you know jerk in the in the first ones, and he almost just progresses into more of a dope as the series goes on. Whereas yeah. Rocky, if you look at him in Rocky one to Rocky four. He becomes more intelligent as the series goes on. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. And then we go to Rocky, um, Rocky Five, and he becomes um, he kind of goes back to where he was in Rocky One. Yeah, everybody in Rocky Five reverts to their Rocky One self. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's not just the money, but it's basically every bit of knowledge that they've gained along the way goes out the window, yeah. and they just kind of turn into and. and uh, and, and and even when we see him in in uh, Balboa, he's 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 not really he's not in as good a spirit as he was in Rocky Four for sure. No, no. So yeah, but we get into this fight and we see that you know whereas um, whereas Rocky and Apollo Creed were the epitome of uh, the epitome of America, they were the American heroes. We get Drago, who is the uh, the hero of Russia. Um, you know, and th- this is something that I imagine we'll get into with the fight. But the other thing that I really appreciate about Dolph Lundgren playing um, playing the opponent here is that, yeah, of course, when he kills Apollo Creed, he is the villain. You you do not like him. But when you see how he is treated um, in Russia, you know, when he is in his home, um, you see that you know he's not entirely a bad guy. He is an athlete who is representing his country and he came to America maybe he should not have um you know taken that fight as as uh against Apollo Creed as as tough as he did but you see you he is a sympathetic villain who he is a product he is a puppet of his government and um you know I don't know if I'd go as far as saying I feel sorry for him but you do sympathize you do see where Drago is coming from here Oh without a doubt I mean he's he's not He's not pure evil. No, no, not he's, at all. Uh, he's he's basically he's a soldier. Mm-hmm. He's been given he's been given orders, and he carries out those orders maybe more efficiently than uh, than he is supposed to. Uh, but he's he's not you know a, a, a pure one hundred percent evil person. He's just the, the epitome of communist superpower politics. And and he's he's unfortunately going to have to be put in his place, and and it it takes Rocky on Christmas Day to do so. Well, and I'd say even before he is the uh, he is the the super soldier of his government. When it all comes down to it, he is an athlete. He is a super athlete who wants to be the best. And how many athletes in the world today can relate to that? You know, he is he is um, spectacular at his at his sport of choice, and he wants to be the best. So I think that definitely makes sense, and it definitely, um, I, I don't want to say sympathetic again, but it, it definitely makes you understand his character a little more. Yeah, it, it, it gets you into his head a bit. Uh, you know, you kind of, you, you wonder what his personal life is like, you know, living with Ludmila and, you know, what goes on day to day in that marriage. Yeah, I, I was wondering God that only well. knows. I was wondering that as well. What is their marriage like? Like she does all the talking it, for him, and like I, I, you know, it's uh, it, it, 
I feel like that could be a separate podcast on its own. <laughs> so, so yeah, we have this fight, and man, um, again, watching it again, it is choreographed so well. One of the things that that um, you have to appreciate about this is just how the shape that both Dolph and Sly are in for for this scene. You know, it's 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 known by now at this point that when when Dolph first got the role. Um, you know, he was pretty lean, you know, Dolph, you know, before he, you know, got trained to be a, uh, a boxer, a fighter, you know, he's known as being a, uh, a karate champion. So when he tried out for this, for this role, he was tall, but he was extremely lean and, um, Sly advised him to pack on muscle. He packed on over 20 pounds of muscle. And so when you see him enter the ring, I don't know if you caught onto this, but when you see him enter the ring against Balboa, he looks even more jacked than he was when he entered the ring with Apollo, um, when I was watching it, I, I just had to, um, I just had, I was amazed. He just has this V shape to him that I'm thinking, my God, can anybody att- attain that type of physique? Well, you know, just like his wife said, you know, much like our Popeye ate his spinach every day, <laughs> and there were no shenanigans. Uh, I'm sure Dolph trained very hard, all 100% natural. And uh, and just happened to end up looking like some sort of a Greek god chiseled into a into a human. Possibly so, possibly so. And you know, and Sly as well. You know, Sly's gone on the record as well and saying you know he was filming. Um, I don't I don't know if he was doing them back to back, but he did Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Um, you know, pretty much back to back with uh, with Rocky Four. Yes. And so he said that it hit the best shape of his life was in this period in the 1984-1985 period and he is extremely cut as well i don't know what his body fat is but man i i can't imagine it's it's very much that diet had to be nothing for both these guys but sly especially had to be nothing but boiled chicken and and fish i mean he they they are it's it's almost bizarre looking at them well, it's it's emasculating, quite frankly. Watching it now, it's uh, it's it's uh, it makes me question a lot of the choices I've had regarding nutrition and fitness, and uh, it's it's it, it it's not something I thought about when I watched it uh, younger. But yeah, now when I see it, I just I just feel like a big tub. I know. Yeah. No. Um. But yeah, you know, they um they 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 both get into the ring, and you see them. These boxing sequences are extremely well choreographed. I mean, I, I got to give Sly, um, well, both guys especially, but, you know, I'll, I'll give it to Sly as well because he was the director here. Um, these sequences are done so well. I mean, the, the punches, obviously, they're sound effects, but, man, are they, I mean, it, it is a brutal fight sequence. But this is, if, if you consider this, this was filmed and released in the 80s, and the, this fight sequence, I feel, is done better than a lot of the boxing stuff that we see nowadays in film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's look, uh, with the exception of, of of a few moments here and there, maybe in the early films and in the later films, any any try or hope that they to be a realistic depiction of actual boxing what was thrown out the window from about a, a 43rd floor essentially no. it, you know the, the the hits that these guys are taking uh, w- would basically you know knock out uh, Holyfield within about a minute and a half uh, you know it's just one gargantuan punch after the other uh, r- really no effort at all between either fighter to get out of way out of the way of any of these strikes it's basically just 
here I am, take your best shot, and uh, not very realistic, but is it very entertaining to watch on the big screen? Absolutely. Almost definitely, and you know, um, I'm not a boxing expert by any means, but some of the things that I had to call out were a couple things. Number one, going back to the physiques, um, these are not boxer physiques, let's face it, especially no, in a heavyweight no. boxing bout they're not going to have these physiques. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what no. I mean? So that's the first thing. And the second thing, if you watch it, um, you know, I, I will almost, I will, I will go out there and I will say the fights in Rocky one almost are a little more on par with what a real boxing match is going to look like. If you look at the, um, the fight as entertaining as it is, Rocky's, um, punches are, are just extremely wide. You know what I mean? That I'm wondering, like, if that was a real match, you know, no way would he be taken such wide. He's never, not even really guarding his face a heck of a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't think, no fighter in any Rocky film ever attempts to protect their face, ever, at any point. Um, it's, it seems to be laughable to, uh, to try and uh, to dodge any punches in these films. Um, but again, it looks cool, so who cares? It looks cool, and... Um... It's, it's, it's an amazing fight. They go 15 rounds. There are so many great lines in this fight. It, it's simply a back and forth, back and forth. I personally love the, um, and I, I went back and I had to watch this on YouTube, but I love the, the two-minute scene where once Rocky cuts um, Drago and you see Drago oh, get yeah. cut and how, um, uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think, okay, in succession here. So Drago gets cut. Um, he pins Rocky on the ropes um, the bell dings, um, Drago gets in that last sucker punch, and then Rocky just picks him up and drags him into the corner, and they just get into a wrestling match. It is so badass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a great moment. Um, it's the, the, the pinnacle of of the film uh, basically it's uh you know it, it's everything that you want i mean you you want it to turn into essentially a wrestling match uh you know we want that that that's what the audience is craving at that point and and they they both deliver it's uh, it's endlessly entertaining a, a great back and forth and and you know no matter how ridiculous it looks it doesn't stop the the film from being uh, endlessly entertaining, and it, it's just it's pretty much my favorite of any of the fights from any of the Rocky films. Oh, it's, like I said, it's one. It's so rewatchable. I mean, the rewatchability of this film is phenomenal because I can anytime it's on, I just find myself entranced. Um, but yeah, they're in this fight. There are so many great lines. So again, like I said, it's 15 rounds. Um, you get this wonderful montage, you know, of just the back and forth, the back and forth between both opponents here. Um, but the lines, you get Tony Burton. I love where he says, you know, do you see he's not a machine, he's a man. I, yes. <laughs> it's so... It, well, and then, and then the great stuff from Pauly, uh, hit the one in the hit middle. Hit the one in the middle. And then you get some lines from, uh, from Drago as well, which is really cool, where he's talking about Rocky and how he's saying, like, he's a piece of iron. You know, I mean, um, it uh, it really plays well. I love these lines, and I especially like as I had to rewind it a few times. But um, when they get ready to go into their final uh, their final bout, um, Drago has his mouthpiece in, but he looks to uh, Rocky and he says, "To the end." You know, kind of signifying that he now has um, uh, built or established um, a, a respect for for Rocky as well. Again, making him not entirely hateable it's a great it's a great little line there yeah yeah it's, it's a it's a great moment uh you know gives a, a, a 
look, I'm not going to try and say that Ivan Drago is a deep character. It's not. But it adds a little bit of, of a layer to him that maybe we didn't 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 see in the earlier scenes of him. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a great little moment. Uh, it, it just, it's... You know, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. I can't say anything bad. I know lots of people. They just, oh man, they just they look at it and it's just, oh, the America, and it's just being f force fed down our throats, and oh my goodness, and and it's just, oh, the epitome of, of what was wrong with '80s cinema at that time. And to me, I don't want to hear any of it. No, no. Well, and you know, um, spoiler alert here uh, for anyone listening, but uh, Rocky does win at the end. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you know, uh, I wanted to get into this as well, but, you know, Rocky wins and he gives this final speech, you know, like you said, um, for the most part, uh, Drago is 99%. He's 99% a static character, but there's that 1% you do see, like you said, a little layer and he does change a little bit, but Rocky wins. Rocky is draped in the American flag. And Rocky gives, you know, a speech where he's talking, you know, about how, um, you know, the country did not like him and he did not like them. But if everybody can change, we can all come together. It's a good speech. OK, I'll, I'll give it that. And it really is. It helps epitomize, you know, America and what they're going for. Um, I will say, especially on watching it again, I had a slight problem with this with with this scene. I don't know about you, but it feels I don't want to say out of place, but it doesn't gel entirely entirely with the rest of the film okay and by that I mean Rocky's motivation in fighting Drago was not to represent America yes he wore the shorts and yes he came out representing America but that was not his motivation his motivation was to get revenge for fighting Drago so I had a problem with this speech especially on watching it again because I'm thinking it, it, it's just such a juxtaposition between what was going on in the first act of the film to what's going on in the third act. Yeah, I mean, the, the speech is a bit much. I, I, I don't think, even as big a fan as I am of the movie, even I have to agree that it's it's kind of one of those moments where I'm kind of like, you know, it, it, just, it doesn't go with Rocky's character that he would make any kind of a speech like that after any of his fights. I mean, no. you know, his... His speeches are just screaming Adrian after the fight. So you know to have him kind of uh, turn into this uh, you know wise sage who's gonna basically you know tell these two countries you know hey you know cool it you know look let, let us in this ring let us batter each other but as nations we must come together and and be as one. It, it's it is a bit much. Yeah, it's a little much. Um, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm not gonna beat up the film too much. But yeah, like I said, no. I was watching this and I was thinking, Rocky's motivation was never to represent America. It was never to represent America. It was, I mean, it definitely became that. Um, but it yes. was it was to avenge his friend. So. Anyway, to, to each his own, I guess, yeah. right? <laughs> well, hey, all I know is he, he his speech certainly improved uh, the guy that they uh, they cast as Gorbachev. True. Well, and you know, and this film is also um, ranked in Amer uh, Entertainment Weekly. I don't know if you saw the issue that came out back in July, um, but this is ranked in Entertainment Weekly as being one of the greatest films of America, and that that definitely says something because it really is. I mean, this film bleeds um, red, white, and blue. Oh yeah, I mean it's whenever Fourth of July comes around and and you know people start you know the topic of hey what's the 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 great 
movie to watch to to get yourself pumped up for America. You know, this is one. You know, you get your Red Dawn. Uh, you know, your Independence Day. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a stalwart. It's it is a a perfectly acceptable movie to watch on the 4th of July uh, mainly because it's it's very short so you can actually go do something else afterwards it is short. but it's uh yeah I mean minus the credits for you know like what 88 minutes so you can get through it pretty quick and uh yeah it's uh it's 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 80s cinema personified it really is and I mean we have the you know this this podcast is dedicated to Dolph Lundgren so you know I mean this is the film we we have Sylvester Stallone to, to essentially thank for um sure for giving him a career but um you know now that now that we've come to the end of the film um you know, I would like to, like I said, as I'm going to be going through his filmography, I would like to rank each one of his films. And I'm still trying, as you know, I've seen every one of his films, like I imagine you have, and I'm still trying to think of the, what is the quintessential um, Dolph Lundgren film? Like, if you're going to give someone a a, a, a DVD or a Blu-ray of, of Dolph Lundgren to say, okay, if you want to see who he is, um, what would this film be? I'm still trying to think about that, but I'm wondering if you had to give Rocky for a um, a rating on a scale of one to ten. We'll do the the traditional cliche scale of one to ten. What would be your ranking? With with one being the lowest, of course, ten being the the, the best. Oh, it's an easy nine. No no doubt, easy nine. Easy nine. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's like. You know, people, and I've mentioned it before, how it gets bashed on a lot, and people don't take it seriously. But to me, it's not a movie to be taken seriously. It's it's a, a purely it's pure pulp. It's it's just a movie that you're supposed to go and lose yourself and enjoy these characters for 90 minutes. And based on that, the film absolutely works. It's you know, and people will say, oh, it betrays the original. Well, look. The original is the original. The original is a great movie, but I don't know if we necessarily need six more films that are just like the original. So the fact that it kind of diverges and goes in this different direction and becomes this, you know, car- car- live-action cartoon, to me it's awesome. You know, it is awesome. And, you know, I will say, you know, while it is one of the most popular franchises in all of Hollywood, um, if you look at the first for what it was, it was never really screaming a sequel. I mean, it really did not need a sequel. Right. Um, I will say, so I'm going to give it my rating. Um, you gave it a solid nine. I think I'm going to give it about an eight as well. So I'm right there with you. Um, like you said, it is a cartoon. I don't so much have a problem with that. Um, I would say it plays definitely way more like an action movie. Um, you know, yes. from from the the story beats and just the physiques that uh, the Rocky has, um, or Sylvester Stallone that he has adopted for the film. But like you said, it um, it plays more like an action movie um, in tone with the first two. It's not really there. It's it's almost a different movie in a sense. It doesn't really feel. Um, it doesn't have the same feel as the other Rocky movies. Yeah, it has the same stars and the same cast and everything like that. Um, but it almost has. A different tone to it and you use the term uh, super rocky which I, de- I think is definitely apt in describing this I one time heard this described as Rambo and boxer shorts and I feel like that is definitely a um, an, an apt um, uh, criticism of the film as well uh, yeah I, I think that's maybe a little too strong because uh, I mean look I mean, it's still the good natured rocky character uh, especially in the earlier scenes i mean he's 
you know, it's still the Rocky that we love. It's just when it comes to the montages and the fights and and things of that nature, where the where the film really, you know, diverges and becomes something that is is in no way similar to the first couple films. But that to me, that's what I like about the franchise. I mean, the franchise in in itself is is an interesting mirror into Stallone's career. I mean, if you look at the first film, the first film is about this guy who everyone's kind of given up on, and he finally gets his one shot, and he, he basically leaves his mark on, on, the, on the world. And that's basically what Stallone did with Rocky, is he was this kind of this guy who had been in a few movies and has some bit parts and just you know hadn't really had any kind of a huge stardom took his shot with Rocky, you know, the very famous story of, you know, everybody offering him so much money to, but they didn't want him to star in it, and he held out, and he held out, and, and it paid off, and, and as you go through each of the movies, they all, they, all of them kind of mirror where his career was at, at that point, Almost definitely. And, because, and, yeah, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up as well, because they definitely do mirror his career at that point, um, you know, and if you look at Rocky IV um, as being, it is, like I said, it's not so much a boxing drama as much as it is more of a boxing action film, which makes yes. complete sense because at this point in his career, um, Sylvester Stallone had established himself as an action star. So that makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, this is this was 1985. He... Pretty much that year, I mean, he had two of the three highest grossing films of that year. So he was the biggest movie star at that time. So I think the fact that the Rocky movie that he makes that year is about excess and how he's basically on top of the world and he's essentially going to defeat communism on his own. Well, I mean, it just is kind of a mirror for where he was at at that point. I mean, he was the number one movie star in the world. He was he was it. Everybody wanted to be in business with Stallone if you were producing a film. And, you know, even though it wasn't going to last much longer after Rocky IV, uh, that's where he was at that time. So I think it's fascinating that the film sort of mirrors exactly what was going on with him as all the other movies in the franchise do. Well, and, you know, I'm really interested. They have not um, officially confirmed him. They've been, they've been dropping hints you know, on Instagram and, yeah. and Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. But um, you can pretty much assume where they're going. But it, it's appearing that um, Creed Two is going to um, exhibit the return of Ivan Drago. I do not think that Sly and um, Ryan Coogler are going to be as bold as have um, the young Adonis Creed challenge um, Ivan Drago to a fight, as I think that would just appear silly. But I am interested to see um, if, in fact, it, it is looking the way they're going to go. I'm interested to see the direction they're going to take this and the capacity that we're going to see um, Drago's character return for Creed 2. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, certainly a lot of questions up in the air at this point. You know, we've seen, at least I've seen, footage of, of Dolph working out in preparation um, for what appears to be Creed II. Uh, to me, why would he, I, mean, I don't think there'd be a whole lot of cause for him to work out if he wasn't going to fight. But again, it's way too early to, to know about what exactly, who's going to fight who. Uh, to me, the, the more interesting question at this point is, 
whether Ryan Coogler is going to return or not. I mean, he's got Black Panther, which he's, uh, I'm sure, still doing work on, which comes out um, early next year. So that's the big question that I have is, I, is, is will Coogler be behind the camera? And is it going to be pretty much all the, the principles from Creed returning for this one? Um, either way, I, I would be excited to see it. But I just think that's that's an interesting sort of behind-the-scenes question that, that I would like to, to have resolved. Oh, I'm extremely excited as well. And, you know, um, I think you need Coogler um, to return for this just because, um, you know, while Rocky IV is as fun as it is, I feel like Creed um, definitely brought the series um it grounded the series i mean balboa helped ground the series again as well but um creed definitely did a fantastic job in making the series feel relevant and making it feel real again and just grounding it um so if drago is coming back on one hand i really like that i think that's a that's a cool little touch and it's keeping um it's keeping the series in touch with its um with its roots if you will um I will say, though, that um, if Coogler is not involved and this is 100% um, Stallone behind the wheel, I wonder if it is going to go more into the comic book um, cartoon realm that um, Sly took Rocky for. Like I said, it's early to tell, but I think that is a um, that it's definitely a possibility. So it's we'll see, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's just it's too many questions at this point. All we really have at, at right now is a lot of Instagram posts and, you know, a lot of almost, you know, uh, fan-submitted artwork, um, you know, <laughs> with, uh, with, with images of Drago and, and Adonis and, and, you know, Rocky with his hat on in the background. Oh, you saw and, my artwork. I mean, that, that was my artwork. Oh, uh, it's, uh, to me, send no, more. No, it's not mine, I, actually. I, I, <laughs> that, that, who they should get. Oh, I wish I, I really I should have done better research. But have you ever have you seen that poster for Rocky Four with Rocky climbing the mountain that is in the form of Ivan Drago? Yeah, it, it's not an official poster. It's a it's a fan. No. Or, yeah, but it's it's really cool. Um, they could do something cool like that. I, I don't know. Um, that, yeah, that's what they they find that guy and get him to do the artwork for for Creed too because that that is an awesome poster. Yeah, no, it, it's a great it's a great piece of art. So um so yeah, I guess time will tell. But um Chris, I've had a ton of fun with this conversation. Thank you so much, not only for um for joining me um for you know w- what is uh, the most fun of all the Rocky films, but for joining me on this uh on this venture that that some would say is a little silly, but um this is the first episode and I couldn't um I couldn't think of anyone else who I uh, who I'd want to um have the first episode with. So um so thank you so much, sir. Oh, well, I appreciate you inviting me to do this. Um, you know, I, I've definitely enjoyed our, our back and forth regarding uh, both uh, Lundgren's career and movies in general for, for many years now. And, and I love the idea of this podcast and um, certainly any of the ones that, that I don't participate in, I'll be listening to. And I look forward to participating in, in future installments. Oh, no, we're, uh, we, we've already discussed it. Um, you're going to be coming back for... Uh... For a few of these, maybe even against your will, sir. I'm just going to warn you that. But I've already got you locked down for uh, for Red Scorpion. I've got you locked down for uh, I Come in Peace or Dark Angel, uh, whichever title cool. we go by. Um, I may, I you know, it's going to be tough, but um, I may have to have you come for uh, Puncture Wounds. 
Yeah, the, I mean, I'll, the, the last I'll, I'm in. I mean, look, you, it's the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if we're if we're, if we're gonna be discussing his whole career, you, you got to go with all of it. Um, and and if it means that I have to sit through puncture wounds again, then you know I'll do it. I you know I'm that committed. Well, I, not only am I that committed, but I happen to own puncture wounds, um, which I'm not Ooh, looking forward wee. to. I own uh, uh, Agent Red. I've actually listened to the commentary on Agent Red, so um, I, I yeah. actually look at Agent Red as being worse than uh, than um, any of those those films that he's done within the past few years. But you know, hey, there's the good, there's the bad, there's the ugly, like you said. Um, there's a lot to discuss. So, hey, it's uh, yeah, like like you know, starting with Rocky Four, it's 32 years later, he's still still doing it and now he's got some some of the well he's he's actually going to be in the biggest movie he's ever been in with aquaman so it's it, there's really there's no slowing down i know how awesome is that so um yeah no oh, it, it's, it's gonna be great um but yeah no i had a great time chris thanks for joining me sir all right t- take care and i'll be talking to you soon all right i'll see you next time on i must break this podcast <laughs>